Thank you. Greetings, church family. We are, thank you, glad to be here, thankful to see everyone, well, those that are here tonight, and uh, those online, um, hello, God bless you, it's good to see you. Let's uh, continue our lesson on life enrichment, and uh, hoping that that we find uh, something in the scripture that said to uh, to encourage us, to lift our spirits, and to keep us, keep us going through this, uh, this this time of, of struggle or difficulty with this, maybe not a new norm, but it is new. And so we have to deal with it while it's here. Let's go to God together, please, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy and divine name and thank you so very much for blessing us and keeping us and for strengthening us and for watching over us. We hallow your name, Lord God, as it is sanctified and separate. Help us as your children to always keep your name separate and above all and to treat you with respect and holiness. Help us, Lord God, never to be those who profane your name, but rather those who who lift it up. Tonight as we study your word, we ask, Lord God, and pray that you will bless us and that you will strengthen us from your word and that you will help us to be stronger, to be better, to be able to continue in the faith uh, in this difficult time to help our unbelief, Lord God, and give us the courage and the conviction and the strength that we desire. We pray, Lord God, for the many who are struggling this this day throughout the world, that you bless and be with each and every one of them. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee, if it be thy will. Amen. So we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in just a moment. Um... That way you can get prepared for that. Many years ago, a Midwestern lawyer suffered from such a deep depression that his friends thought it best to keep all knives and all razors out of his reach. And this uh, this man, he questioned uh, life, his life's calling, uh, the whole idea of just why go through with it. And during uh, this time, This is what he wrote. I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. And then there's that feeling of, you just want to give up. But God has put in us this desire, this, this willingness to live and to overcome. And so, through time, Somehow, this man, we know the gift was from God. This man was able to climb out of that pit. And that's what I want to talk about um, tonight, is climbing out of that pit. Oh, and by the way, the man is Abraham Lincoln. You know, depression is not something that's for people that are weak. It's not for people that are, that are, um, you know, that are, are not strong, you know, mentally or physically. It happens to everybody. Every one of us gets into some point of this, uh, I guess, struggle in our lives. But we know that being overwhelmed, no matter which phase of it we're in, it's it's a horrible thing. This feeling of of sadness, this dark cloud that comes over your head, and it and then what happens is Satan comes in and he really knows how to bog you down. 
And you can read the book of Job for that, right? You can read through the Old Testament and watch how people that were that were doing so well and then some things happen in life, whatever they are. And, and by the way, when we think of depression, there's so many different degrees of depression, right? Um, but anyway, when you, Satan knows how to push you, push you down further into that, that terrible feeling, that, that horrible condition of the mind. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four. Here's what he, here's what he does. Look at verse three. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So what has Satan done? Well, this this message that we have called the good news. I'm just going to just throw this out for a moment. We'll come back and grab it in a second. But the good news. It is wonderful to receive good news. But Satan has blinded people to not be able to see the good news. And so you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can't see, as we say, the forest through the trees. He blinds people from being able to see that which is wonderful and that which is great and that which is a blessing and that which is uh, uh, critical for us in life to sustain our lives. God is good. So some in this state of mind blame everything on themselves. Have you ever been there before where you you, you kind of blame everything on yourself? You I mean, who else is there to blame, right? It's, everything is my fault. Um, you know, after we maybe at some phase of our life, we blamed others, but we get to that point where you just can't blame anyone else. And so now everything that's gone wrong is my fault. And we know that's not true. But in that moment of despair, it's hard to uh, to distinguish that out. And so we begin to feel useless and, um, again, bogged down. And then on top of that, there's that strong feeling of pressure. You ever felt that pressure? That pressure to, you know, you, you've got to do something. You, I mean, there's just this pressure that's placed on you, which brings more anxiety into your life. And so the good news is being blinded or kept from some who are striving to do the right thing or wanting to know about Jesus. I want to leave that for a moment and come back to the good news. Turn to Romans, please, chapter 7. So how then do we... Will ourselves, if you will, will our minds uh, in Christ, how do we gain that that resolve that we're going to do better? And we're going to fight. We're going to feel better. I think that's a better way, way of phrasing that. That I'm going to feel better because God is going to help me to feel better inside. Okay, that's better than saying do better. Uh, now, Ro- Romans chapter 7 I want you to look at Paul. Think about what Paul is is revealing to us about how a man who is in the flesh can live a spiritual life. There's this battle, you see. And if you're not feeling that inward battle, so now we're going into a little more depth. Now we're stepping outside of a, of depression um, that that exists in humanity as a whole. Now we're stepping deeper into, now a man comes to Christ. 
And he begins to struggle with this. Why aren't I more spiritual than I ought to be? Or why do I feel this way and I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to feel this joy? Etc., etc., etc. Now we go a little deeper into that as we look at Romans 7 and verse 14. Paul discusses this battle. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Now, <laughs> there's a, that is a mouthful. How often have you ever in your life realized that the thing you said growing up you would never do? You ever found yourself doing it? You know, like, you know, you're, you're uh, a parent, maybe your mom or, or, or your, um, or your dad or someone does something and, and you, you say, I'm, when I grow up, I'm not going to be that way. And you end up being just like your mom and dad, right? Or whatever it may be, situations in your life. Well, here's this struggle inside that, that Paul is going through and, um, and he's saying, you know, here I am doing, in verse, back to verse 15, I'm doing the thing that I don't want to do. Why am I doing the thing I do not want to do? Why don't we do that? That's the battle. That's the spiritual battle. The Okay, all right, let's just think about the reality of that. Uh, I'm so angry at something, a situation or a person. But inside I'm saying, why am I so angry? I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be this way. But there's this, there's this battle where you're, you, but you are being that way, but I don't want to be that way, right? Even even the battle of uh, when you when it's, it's time to come to services, for example, and you you know you really want to be there, but you can't figure out why am I so tired? You know, I'm just always tired. Of, you know, this, if there's this battle of, of doing the right thing versus again the flesh against the spirit. And even Jesus said, He said, "The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. The spirit is willing, but the flesh the flesh craves so much." Right? Okay. So look at verse fifteen. Verse 15 says, and I should have read verse 13. I apologize for not reading that earlier. But verse 15 says, For that which I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the wishing in me is present, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. So, he says, you know, the, the problem is not God. That's the first thing we got to get in to our mind, right? The problem is never God. It never has been God. The problem is living in this flesh. The problem is not desire. It's not that... Paul is saying, you know, I don't even, I don't even want to do what's right. It's not that. The problem is not knowledge. It's not that Paul is saying, I would do it, but I just don't know what to do. It's not that. The problem that Paul is discussing here is that the law in itself, it doesn't give you the power to do the next thing. It just tells you, do not do this. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And so the struggle then is, thou shalt not. Okay, so then, how do I not covet my neighbor's stuff? And you have to really dig, dig, dig to find that in the law, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God gives us the power. He gives us the knowledge to learn how not to do this. Or, 
uh, to do that on this amazing spiritual level that God has given to us. The struggle that Paul speaks of is, how do I do the good that I know I ought to do and that I know I want to do, but I find myself doing the opposite? Why do I find myself doing that? And one of the things that's important is that, you know, as a Christian, the first thing we have to do is we have to own up to it. We have to just say, you know, I'm going to be honest, today, I don't feel good mentally, emotionally. I, today, I'm, I'm, today, I'm a little grumpy. Now, I know I shouldn't be, uh, and I know I'm, I need to change, but just right now, I am grumpy. And then when you, when you acknowledge that, it's time to do what? Pray. <laughs> and ask God to help you. To get out of this grumpy mood that you're in. And then meditate. Think about a scripture. Think about some great things that God has done for you. In other words, to, to get out of a, a, a mood of, of, of depression or a mood of any kind of mood at all, you gotta try to reprogram your mind to think about other things. And it takes a little bit of time, but it takes a lot of effort. And that's what always isn't present. The effort. Right? The energy level isn't always there because, let's be honest, um, it's a lot harder to be grumpy than it is to be happy. <laughs> it's a lot easier to be happy. Um, it's a lot more, it's, it's very difficult to get out of that, that, that thinking, you know, that pattern of thinking. And so strive to work on that pattern of thinking in a positive. And that's what we're hoping we'll be able to do is to help people to gain uh, an ability to work themselves out of that pattern of that mood that's in a negative, right? Keeping in mind that happy people aren't always happy. <laughs> and one of the problems, um, I, and this is just my opinion, I don't believe a picture says a thousand words. I believe pictures can say a thousand words, but pictures aren't always true. How many times, I'll give you an example, have you seen this family... That, oh, on their picture, maybe on Facebook, they look so happy. But you know them, and you know they're not, right? You know they're not happy. But the picture says, oh. And then people that are uh, maybe envious because they don't know their the other person's life might say, oh, I wish we could be that happy and satisfied. And you know, so pictures, pictures lie. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? It's my opinion, but that's what I've seen in life. And I've done that, right? Have you ever done it before? Okay, smile for the camera, and you may not be in the best mood, but you smile for the camera, right? Look at the next part of this verse, verse 20. Verse 20 says, But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. So becoming aware of of your struggles, your personal struggles in your life, becoming aware of that, this is what's beautiful, and I try to explain this to people so often, that we all sin, right? We don't want to, as a Christian, we don't want to sin. We don't live in sin, but we all sin. The beauty is that you recognize you've done something wrong. And when you recognize it, it bothers you. 
and you want to make the wrong right. That's the beauty of being a Christian, that you recognize it, right? And so then it, it stimulates or brings into your heart or into your mind the desire to change for your, for God and because of the relationship that you have with God. But you can remember being in the world that you didn't recognize maybe their sin. Maybe it didn't bother you to, uh, you know, say mean things to certain people because they deserved it. But as a child of God, if you say those mean things, it begins to bother you. And you start saying, you know, I really shouldn't have said that. That's the beauty of being a child of God, is that we recognize the need to no longer feed the flesh. The flesh is so hungry. The flesh is kind of greedy. It wants everything. It wants all of my attention. It wants all of my time. And the Spirit is saying, I would like to have your mind and your time. But the flesh keeps saying, no, no, no. They see, there's this inward battle. Spirituality versus carnality. Living a life of flesh, of the flesh or living a life of the Spirit. In verse 24, it goes on to say, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? I own my sin. I don't like it. I want to get rid of it. I recognize that I cannot save myself. And when I recognize that I cannot save myself, I know that I can only be saved by Jesus. And I know that Jesus wants to save me and I have to give my life to Jesus and to give my life to Jesus. Before you really can get through Romans 7, you got to surrender to Romans chapter 6. And I want to go back and look at Romans chapter 6 for just a moment regarding this this battle that goes on. Well, first of all, beginning at verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of flesh, or newness of life, excuse me. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, For he who has died is freed from sin. So I recognize that feeding the flesh is not good. So I don't feed the flesh any longer, right? That's the mindset that Paul is speaking of. Stop feeding the flesh. Begin to feed the soul. How much uh, am I putting into feeding my soul? The, The who I am, the who that I am, if you will. What am I giving to my soul? Am I feeding my, is my soul starving? Maybe maybe the soul is starving, and that's why the flesh so easily takes over. you got to feed the soul, the spirit of man. And feeding the flesh is so natural and so normal because if you don't feed the flesh, the flesh responds in retaliation, and you feel it, you feel it, you feel it. But feeding the soul, the soul is humble. And the soul just takes whatever it will get, whatever I'll give to it. But the soul also is, is yearning, it's, it's crying for, to us. To be fed. And that's how we become more spiritual minded. That's how we overcome this terrible depressive state of mind is by feeding the soul Jesus. See, that's it. See, more Jesus. More of Jesus. More of Jesus. Just put Jesus 
everywhere. See, the Bible in the Old Testament, you know, in Deuteronomy, you know, he says, put put God everywhere, right? On your doorposts, on your, your frontlets of your forehead, you know, on your sleeves, on your tassels. I mean, put Jesus, put God everywhere. And that's what we need to do. We need to put Jesus everywhere. Always thinking about Jesus. Always thinking about God. Always trying to see the light, the light of the gospel, the light of God, the greatness of God, the greatness of this life in Jesus. Life is wonderful in Jesus. To see Jesus, you see, you see your beginning, we see our present, we see our, 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 you know, our future, we can see Jesus, and that's what we have to see. Jesus. That was what we have to look to and look towards. Jesus. Jesus. That's the answer. Right? And so, it's a simple thing. It's a simple thing. And it begins with the more that I read, or, or maybe you have to, uh, you know, there are a lot of inspirational movies out today about, about God. There, I mean, you know, they're, they're movies, but, you know, it is what it is. There are songs out about God. There's, there's lots of things you can do today to get more and more of Jesus inside of your heart. So God says, look, you get baptized into Christ and you're buried and you're resurrected like Jesus and you become freed from the old body of death. So we don't need to feed that body, that flesh any longer. Now we feed the flesh, we feed the soul rather, and we stop feeding the flesh like we have been in the past. Turn to Second Corinthians, please, chapter chapter five. The old man, the old man that was, I mean, was all about feeding the flesh is dead. The new man is alive, and that new man is all about Jesus. Right? If you feed the soul. The flesh will take care of itself. If you feed the soul, the flesh will be perfectly fine. Look at verse 14, please. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So that man who is buried in the waters of baptism and resurrected to a new life, we no longer see that individual as the, as in the flesh, if you will. We see them as, we see souls. So evangelism is this idea that when you look at people, you see souls. We don't see the things that we're not supposed to see. We see souls. And, and Jesus, we don't see Jesus in the flesh any longer. We see the spirit of Jesus. We see, uh, we feel the spirit of Jesus. We recognize it. We surrender our lives to it. Jesus, feed the spirit. Jesus. Feed the soul Jesus. You say, well, you know, our congregation, we're having problems. Well, how much of Jesus do we have in there? Right? Um, I remember I had a, I had a foster child that lived with us and they were in a home prior to our home and this child was, my age may be off, but I believe she was uh, about eight and, um, and we, we picked her up and got her in the car and we were driving and she says, I'm so glad to be, to leave that home. And I, I said, oh, well, we're, we're happy to have you. We're trying to find uh, kind words. And she said, no, no, you don't, you don't understand. There was no Jesus in that home. And I was like, wow, I was blown away. 
you know, and she, we had just, this is the first day that we picked her up. <laughs> she said there was no Jesus in that home. And I won't talk about the home, but she was right. Wow. Right. You know, and so if that didn't put anything upon us as far as pressure to say, we better feed this child Jesus because she's going to let us know if we don't. And, and so, <laughs> and she would have. Uh, but, but Jesus, the more of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus inside of our hearts, inside of our, our congregation, inside of our families. Jesus is the fix all, the cure all for everything. You know, if a person, if a person just lived by the Bible, and maybe they weren't, they never became a Christian, but they just lived by the Bible, they'd still be a better person. Right? I mean, that's the beauty of, of the Word of God. It's so powerful and so enriching that there's so much in there for humanity if we want it. So if I want to feed the soul, I need to feed myself more and more of Jesus. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, please, for just a moment, in verse 17. 4.17. That means we've got to take time, right? Um, take the time that it takes to read, to explore the Scriptures, to, to get to know God even better. Verse 17 says, This I say, therefore, and affirm together, with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so... He says, just as when you were baptized into Christ, God removed the old man. Let that old man stay dead. It's easy to resurrect him. I have so much power over the old self, unfortunately, that I can, I can resurrect that old man. You know, like if, if someone ruffles your feathers, you know how that old man wakes up, you know, you try to put him back to sleep. Um, but don't let the old man run your life. Let the new man, the man in Christ, rule in your heart as you serve Jesus, again, the only way to do that is to recognize that I am powerless, truly, powerless without God, without the help of God, without Jesus and more of Jesus every day. I am literally powerless. And every day as we, as we go through life, uh, we see so much, we hear so much negativity. It's all around us because the world without Jesus is a negative place, but the world with Jesus is power. And positivity. It's a wonderful place to be in Jesus. Right? Is Jesus inside of our hearts? Is Jesus inside of our homes? Turn to John 15. He wanted the apostles to surrender to that understanding that we truly are powerless without God. Without God, there's just, I mean, there's, we just, we can't save ourselves. We have to acknowledge the fact that we cannot save ourselves. It is an absolute impossibility. So here's what Jesus said about the old man, um, the old man that is no longer who I used to be, right? The old man of flesh that I've, I've, you know, been transformed, 
transferred. And now I'm being renewed by God. This old man, I, I recognize this new man needs Jesus so desperately. Because I was so comfortable with the old man before I became a Christian. I mean, I lived my life that way all, all I mean, for so long. And then you become a Christian, this new man, you go, no, this is better. This is the new man. This is what I want. And, and there are challenges. The text says, John 15, beginning at verse 1, Jesus, God says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus says, you do realize that as we're striving to live for God, that God is constantly pruning us, you know, clipping off the rough edges, and he's pruning and taking care of and watering and building and growing. And he, he's the one who blesses the ground. You know, he fertilizes the ground. He makes the soil right. He's doing everything. And we can do nothing without God's provision without God caring for us, without God's providence, without God taking care of us. We can do nothing without God. And so why try? Right? It's the surrender to God. It's the submission to God that that the flesh says, no, don't submit to God. This is what we want. No, the mind must control the spirit. We must live in the spirit and we must surrender our lives, our minds, our souls over to God. And that's when you find happiness and peace. Remember, Satan in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 has blinded the eyes of the unsuspecting. He's trying to keep us from seeing the light, the light of Jesus. He's trying to keep us from seeing good. And we begin to uh, look at life from a, a very negative perspective when you're looking at life without looking through the lens of Jesus. If you look through the, through the lens of the world, you see nothing but negativity and, and horror. But through Jesus... You begin to say things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, right? But better than saying it, like our children say it, maybe they learn a memory verse. Better than saying it is believing it, (laughs) right? Believing it is better than just saying it. You can say it all day long. You can can recite uh, poetry or whatever it is you would like to recite. You believe it. That's different. So believing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what this brings us to, as we're looking at Romans 7, is that Paul surrenders to who can rescue me or deliver me from this body of death. Well, we know the only answer is Jesus. Uh, Go back to Romans 7, please, in verse uh, 25. The only answer is Jesus Christ. Now, academically, we know that, but then do we surrender to that? Academically, I can pick it up in the book and I can read it and I can see it as clear as day. But have I surrendered my life to that? Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then on the one hand, I myself, my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. So he's saying, I'm going to continue to fight this fight. I'm going to continue to surrender to God. I'm not going to give up the fight, right? You can't give up the fight. We have to continue to fight the good fight. And you know, it's um, it's worth it, isn't it? I mean, you can talk to anyone, and any Christian will tell you uh, it's, it's worth it. It's very worth it. You know, and when you think of heaven, and the beauty of heaven, and the joy of heaven, and the blessings of heaven, and what God has prepared for us, and all that we're going to receive as a result of of this fight, of this fight, fighting this good fight of faith by His grace and by His mercy through faith. It's worth it, right? It's worth it. I wonder uh, sometimes when I think about Paul and he gets, he has his out of body experience. And I think about when Jesus on Matthew 17 is on the mountain and uh, Elijah and Moses appear with him. I think about, uh, you know, Abraham and, and the bosom and I think about all those things. I think, Wow, you know, we don't even know, we can't even understand truly what, what heaven is and how beautiful it is. So God gives us, um, He gives us earthly terminology, you know, to explain the best that He can. You know, He uses fine, you know, gold and, and, and stones, things of that sort. And He says, yeah, streets of gold. And He talks about things in that light, uh, the beauty of heaven, four square. And He's trying to give us this imagery to say, Wow, what an amazing place. In Revelation, we're reading about the um, the angels with six wings and you, you think the four heads and four faces and you're going, wow, that is amazing. But we can't understand how beautiful heaven is going to be. And God is trying to reveal that information to us. It's worth every ounce of our energy and our strength to fight for our souls. I often think about Satan having a stranglehold on the people of God, trying to keep us from really being able to see because we're so fixated and focused on this. Turn please to Second Corinthians chapter 12. We're so fixated on, 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 on the, the present moment and mood that it, it's difficult to see the light of the gospel that Jesus has for us In verse 8, speaking of Paul's out-of-body experience, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecution, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I want you to keep in mind this out-of-body experience that Paul coming out of this, whatever it was that he was in, this trans, this, he comes out of this, and after seeing the things he see, he saw, he says, these things I'm not allowed to speak of, and so God gave me this thorn in the flesh, uh, to, to a buffeter, if you will, and then he says in verse 10, you know, after, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this in, in a way, after seeing what I've seen and having the confirmation in my mind of things that I knew, but now I really know it because I've been there and wherever that third heaven is, 
after being in the presence of God outside of and away from this world, like John, as he writes about uh, on the island of Patmos, and he says that uh, you know God took him up, and here he is in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and after seeing what he's seen and knowing what he knows, that his desire to feed the flesh has weakened. And the weakness of the flesh that is now weakened because he's no longer feeding the flesh is a positive and not a negative. And he says in verse 10, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's this welcoming of whatever is going to come in the flesh so that you can reap the benefits of what really actually comes in the Spirit. And it's amazing the, the way that the, the writers of, um, of the book of Hebrews, the writer of Corinthians and, the, and Revelation, other places where they talk about what they've seen, or if you will, they've, they've arrived at this point in their lives where, where spirituality is way more important and beneficial than the flesh. And it's usually after they maybe have gone through some things. Elijah on the mountain, we read about him, uh, several weeks ago, and he's on the mountain, and he's up there with God, and and now he he knows his God, this gentle, quiet, uh, the wind that comes by, and his voice, and he goes out and he says the same thing to God, and then God says, "Go back to work, Elijah. You're not finished." And he gets back out there, and he goes back to work because that's what God wanted him to do. God gives us the strength and the ability, and he lets us see, if you will, the forest through the trees. He allows us to see the light, and he brings this, not a glimmer of hope, but he brings this true hope to us so that we can see the greatness of our God. What is the message that Jesus brought? What is it? It's called the the good news, right? Um and then the world, the world has gone astray. And then, and then comes this good news where Jesus brings us back. You know, if you will, he's bringing, he's bringing the world back. He gave, he gave the world that had no hope. He gave them hope. He gave us hope. He, he brought into the world a justice that the world has never seen before. I mean, you just don't see it on this, on this earth. And, 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 you know, de- dealing with Christianity in those days, looking at Rome, they just, they just didn't see justice. But Jesus comes along and he brings, he brings justice, something that's never been seen before on the earth. And hope stands out so boldly and so strong and so powerfully that you begin to, uh, if you will, um, view life from a whole entire different perspective. The poor, the poor and the needy were being loved, cared for, and treated exceptional. Like, who, who does that? And the rich, the rich were treated special. Not because they were rich. And not because of something that, that Jesus wanted from them. But it was, everything about Jesus was genuine. They're like, who is this Jesus? This is the good news that he brings. Jesus, God with us. Jesus walking on the earth. The vulnerable, the vulnerable because of Jesus felt empowered. Now we're empowered. We, okay, yes, we're vulnerable, but wow, God can fill that empty void. And everyone in the entire world felt special because of Jesus. I mean, think about that. Even the Roman leaders, I mean, Pilate, Pilate, uh, he didn't want Jesus to be put to death. 
You know, he wanted to talk to Jesus. Herod wanted to talk to Jesus, but Jesus wouldn't echo a word to Herod. And Pilate asked Jesus questions, and Jesus was different to Pilate. And he couldn't put his finger on it, but there was something about Jesus. And there's always something about Jesus. And Satan is trying to blind the minds of the world from seeing the light. And the light shines in darkness, the Bible says, and the darkness can't comprehend it. And sometimes we're drawn we're drawn towards the darkness because we're so used to the darkness. Because there's a lot of darkness around us. But Jesus keeps calling us to the light. And this is what Satan's done. Even in, in cartoons and in every so many genres of life, it's always don't go to the light. Don't go to the light. You see, and it's always kind of funny in a way. But we want to go to the light, right? We need to go to the light. The light draws us to perfection. So, they marveled at the amazing words of Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus, it, it was amazing that the very fact that you could let your guard down with Jesus. You could just, you know, he already knows. So you can just be yourself. It's like prayer. When you pray to the Father, you can let your guard down. You don't have to be guarded in your prayer and say, well, Lord, I you just don't want to say it because he already knows, right? And you can let your guard down and be honest and be open and be repentive and be respectful and reverent. And God understands. That's what Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 teaches us, that Jesus understands. And you can finally be yourself. And in a household, in a home that is surrounded by the light of Jesus, in a home that, that people really recognize Jesus and surrender to Jesus, we can let our guards down. And you know those walls that we build up? Let's turn to Psalm uh, 140 and we'll close there. <clears throat> you know those walls that we build up to protect us? You can finally let those walls fall down with Jesus. With Jesus. Not necessarily with humanity, but with Jesus. We can let those walls finally fall down. Psalm 140. And I would like us to look just for a moment at verses... Um, 12 and verse 13. Allow me just a minute here. Listen to the text. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous will give thanks to thy name. The upright will dwell in thy presence. It is the desire of every Christian to be upright to be righteous, to live for Jesus. It is the desire of Satan to knock us down. And the more that we spend time together in genuineness, in love, uh, the stronger we become because we get to see more of the light of Jesus. What is this good news that Jesus brought into the world that Satan doesn't want us to have? Well, I want to talk a little more about Jesus next week and the words that he used as he spoke to people and how he made them feel and what they felt when they saw and heard the things that came out of his mouth. That's the good news. And that's found, brethren, right here in the Word of God. And you can read it and you can read through the words of Jesus and see the greatness of God and you'll feel so much better if you'll take this 
and you'll read this every day. And just get in it and read it and ask God to give you a measure of understanding so that it may give you the faith and confidence that you need for the day to make it through just one moment, one hour, one day at a time, nothing more. And God will do it for us. So thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. God bless each and every one of you. We'll come back next week and continue uh, this lesson series of life in enrichment. God bless you. Thank you.